بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين ثم أما بعد رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه كولي سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما آمين برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين الله أكبر 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 The days of Hajj are special days of the year The most special days of the year And the sacred law, Sharia, has legislated as a special form of remembrance or ibadah on the days of Hajj during this time. And this form of remembrance is called the takbirat. Locally in the Cape of Good Hope, we recite this takbir with a particular melody that we are mostly familiar with. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. لا إله إلا الله والله أكبر الله أكبر ولله الحمد These words Allah is greater Allah is greater Allah is greater greater than anything we can fathom or imagine or conceive of and therefore Allah is the greatest there is none worthy of worship except him alone Allah is the greatest, and to Allah belongs all praise. Then, based on the practice of the companions and the early Muslims, Imam Shafi'i, rahmatullah alayhi, held that it is also praiseworthy to add, Allahu Akbar kabira, walhamdulillahi kathira, wa subhanallahi bukrata wa asila. لا إله إلا الله ولا نعبد إلا إياه مخلصين له الدين ولو كره الكافرون لا إله إلا الله وحده صدق وعده ونصر عبده وأعز جنده وهزم الأحزاب وحده لا إله إلا الله والله أكبر الله أكبر ولله الحمد Meaning Allah is truly the greatest Much praise be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Glorified in the morning and in the evening There is no God but Allah We worship none but Him alone Making our religion sincerely for him, it is his, even if the disbelievers may detest it. There is no God but Allah alone. He has fulfilled his promise. He has aided his servant. He has honored his army. And he alone has destroyed the groups. In other words, the groups of disbelievers who collaborated and they allied with one another to extinguish Islam in the time of Rasulullah in reference to the Ahzab. There is no God but Allah. Allah is the greatest. Furthermore, it is the inherited practice of Muslims across the Muslim world to also send salawat 
an Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam upon his family, his companions, his wives, his offspring after reciting the adhkar mentioned before. Doing this is always praiseworthy and there is nothing wrong with also doing it here as is culturally uh, valued and prevalent. The Shafi'is, uh, they differ as to whether this blessing is specifically legislated along with the takbirat or not. But as a cultural practice, it is certainly a beautiful one. And then the Qari or the person reading the takbir would generally read in a similar melody. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ashabi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala azwaji Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala dhurriyati Sayyidina Muhammad now the timing for the takbirat. There are two kinds of takbirat. The one is called mutlaq or unrestricted. And this is to be recited in any circumstance, right? Not necessarily connected with any other form of ibadah. And then the second one is called muqayyad, which is connected to the fard salah. So after the imam recites, uh, the Fard Salah and says Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah He then proceeds with the takbir Before any other form of, of dhikr So the timing for the takbirat Of the mutlaq kind The unrestricted kind This starts on the eve Of the 10th of Dhul Hijjah Meaning the night before La Barang Until the start of the Eid prayer In other words, it is recommended to repeat the takbirat during this time as frequently as possible in the homes, in the cars, in the marketplaces, among family, among neighbors, among friends. And we can even be creative in how we propagate and magnify the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Men in audible voices and women in front of marriageable men in not so audible voices. Then, the timing for the second kind of takbir, which is the muqayyad form that needs to follow the prescribed salahs, this commences from Fajr of the day of Arafah, meaning the ninth of Dhul Hijjah. Of course, this is dependent on one's local sighting if you follow that particular view. So it starts on the morning, in other words, at Fajr time, on the ninth of Dhul Hijjah, and it continues until Asr on the third day after Eid, the 13th of Dhul Hijjah for your own local calendar. In other words, it is recommended to repeat the takbirat during these days after the salahs that one performs, whether obligatory or non-obligatory, whether alone or in jama'ah. It is recommended, as mentioned, that men should recite this out loud. In fact, the Sahaba would narrate that the streets and the homes and the marketplaces would be buzzing with the takbir when it came to the occasions of of Eid. Women, on the other hand, should say them silently in the presence of men who aren't their close relatives, and then loudly, although not as loud as men perhaps, because that's less modest, when alone or only in the presence of close relatives. And Allah knows best. It is best to recite the takbirat that are legislated after prayers before the forms of remembrance and adhkar that normally 
uh, one recites after those prayers. And the timings uh, mentioned as, as above, these are for us, the non-hujjaj. The hujjaj, they have a different schedule, right? And their procedure, uh, for the most part, the hujjaj don't really have an Eid al-Adha because their day is entirely filled with ibadat that are not really related to the non-pilgrims. Perhaps except for the sacrifice, which in a sense is related. And Allah knows best. So these are some of the significant sunnah practices in relation to the takbir. Now we may ask the question, why do we make takbir? And Allah says clearly in the Quran, That you magnify the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the guidance that he had given you. And the primary guidance that I associate with Ramadan, and I'm sure you could agree with me, is taqwa Allah. Whereas the primary form of guidance that we associate with Eid al-Adha is the guidance to sacrifice for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. First and foremost, of course, sacrificing those things which are prohibited in the first place for the sake of Allah azza wa jal. And then to make further sacrifices for the sake of Allah. The most important of which, of course, is the sacrifice of the animal for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what we term the udhiyah or the qurban. This is the most important and most beloved deed that one could be that one could possibly be doing during this particular blessed time that we find ourselves in. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so wills, He gives you the wealth, the rizq, and if you can and you, you have surplus wealth to feed your family and to clothe your family for the days and the nights of Eid, and you still have surplus thereafter, then it is highly recommended that one offers a sacrifice for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, of course, we know that there are certain sunan in relation to Eid as well. We've mentioned the takbir and the reason for it. And we also mentioned the uh, accompanied rulings that go along with that. There are many narrations, far too many to go through in detail, but suffice to say, that the Sahaba, they will be very, very passionate about uh, reciting the takbir. Taib. Then, when we look at the offering of congratulations for the day of Eid, that which is reported predominantly is taqabbal Allahu minna wa minkum. May Allah accept from all of us and from all of you. However, all forms of congratulations that are permissible would be good and permissible for the occasion of Eid as well, ta'ala. We also know that it is sunnah to dress oneself in beautiful, permissible clothing for the day of Eid, even though there are sayings which seemingly discourage that. Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that Umar took a brocade cloak that was for sale in the market and brought it to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And he said, O Messenger of Allah, buy this and adorn yourself with it for Eid and for receiving the delegations. But the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to him rather, this is the dress of one who has no share of piety or reward in the year after. So this narration in Bukhari gives us clear indication that just because it's a special occasion doesn't mean that we can now disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by wearing that which is prohibited for us to wear, depending on whether male or female and in terms of the aura and so on. In the case of brocade, of course, males are not allowed to wear any form of silk and Allah knows best. 
However, the Prophet ﷺ had a cloak which he would wear on the two Eids as well as on Fridays. And this was reported in the Sahih of uh, Ibn Khuzayma. There are other narrations that support this as well. And the main, the main concern in relation to what we wear, the two main concerns rather is one, that it does not break the laws of Allah جل, and then two, that it is beautiful in the sense of sunnah beauty as opposed to a different ideology of what beauty may be. And then we know that it is sunnah to go to the, the Eid prayer via one route and to return via a different route. This was the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in relation to both Eids. A difference perhaps over and above the takbir um, and the other commonalities between the two Eids such as the ghusl and praying uh, the, the, the Eid salah some of the differences include whether to have breakfast or not. So for Eid al-Fitr, we were to eat before going to the Eid prayer. For Eid al-Adha, it is sunnah to abstain from eating before going to the Eid prayer and only eat thereafter. There are some indications in our tradition also that the breaking of that um, fast, if you can call it that, that mini fast in the morning uh, when one postpones one's breakfast is so that one can partake in the sacrificial animal that gets slaughtered, so to take a part of its of its meat or of its liver, and then to consume of that, that would be a blessed practice as well, if one is capable of doing so. The day, other than spending it with family, these are days of eating, drinking, and remembering Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And of course, all of it, all of the uh, festivities. All of those things should be within moderation because the believer never goes into excesses. But now with all those technicalities aside, we ask ourselves, did we really gain the maximum benefit from this time period? If the answer is yes, if we've gained something, alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah. If we feel, however, that we fell short of actually capitalizing, if I can use that term, for these 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah, the best days of the year in which deeds are more beloved to Allah than in any other time, then we need to understand that the 10 days are not over. We are on the eve of, uh, of, Eid, of, of Eid al-Adha, which is the 10th night of Dhul-Hijjah. And there's also a lot of evidence to indicate that it is good and it is a pious practice, it was the practice of the pious predecessors as well, to make layl, to make the night alive with ibadah. Which night? The nights of Eid. So if you want, you can, inshallah, gain maximum benefit still before the 10 days are over. The day of Eid itself also falls, uh, forms part of the, of the 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah. Of course, may Allah accept the fasting of those who fasted any of the days of Dhul-Hijjah, those who fasted the ninth day of Dhul-Hijjah fulfilling the promised reward of expiating two years of sins, the previous year and the year thereafter, subhanAllah, may Allah accept what, a, what an amazing act of ibadah. And that is of course the fast that has taken place earlier today because today is our ninth of Dhul-Hijjah. If however you fasted yesterday, believing it to be the day that is sunnah to fast, it is also part of the, of the 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah. Yes, it's the day that the Hujaj on Arafah, but we need to also bear in mind, as our scholars uh, in recent years have reminded us, 
that the fasting is not about coinciding with what's happening on the plains of Arafah. The fasting is sunnah to take place the day before Eid al-Adha. And Eid al-Adha, regardless of the differences of opinions in relation to when to celebrate Eid, but if you go according to the view that you celebrate Eid according to your local sighting, then Eid al-Adha for you is going to be according to your local sighting and so is your, your fasting of the day of Arafah. And that may seem strange to some because it's called the fasting of the day of Arafah. But the Hujaj were on Arafah the previous day. But we also need to bear in mind it was the ninth for them the previous day and it's the ninth for us on that particular day. To further espouse this point, the significance of the day of Arafah has never been restricted to nor contingent upon the proceedings of the Hujaj at Arafah. In Medina, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Sahaba observed the fast of Arafah up to the eighth year after the Hijrah when no one but Mushrikun were present at Arafah. The historical records present clear evidence to the effect that in the very, in the very year that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam performed Hajj, the moon for Dhul Hijjah was seen in Medina one day later than in Mecca. And there are references for this. Um, for those who wish to pursue it further, more than welcome to contact me for those references. But this has been circulated by the Muslim Judicial Council, I believe uh, two years ago, possibly a little earlier, possibly a little later. So the local sighting continued to be followed in Medina for almost a millennium and and a half, there is absolutely no evidence in Medina or any other city ever attempting to align their fast of the day of Arafah with what transpired on the plains of Arafah. The preferred day to observe the fast of the day of Arafah is the ninth. But be that as it may, whichever day you found yourself fasting on, the point is you partook in the blessings of the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. Ideally, one, one should fast more than just one day. So if you fasted both the Friday as well as today, the Saturday, great, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept. And if you followed a different approach, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept these occasions that make our deen beautiful because they had beautiful traditional, cultural, and even sunnah practices. These are meant to bring us closer together as an ummah. That's part of the reason why it is sunnah to perform a ghusl before proceeding to the Eid prayer. So uh, I, should, I should emphasize that we need to learn that these traditions, these occasions are for us to come together as an ummah because we have one purpose and that is to earn the love and pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are not matters over which we need to fight because they are not part of the essential elements of deen. They are not part of the qat'i matters. They are part of the dhani matters. If somebody omits the Eid Salah entirely, still no punishment will, will be incurred for such a person. Subhanallah, so the practices of the day of Eid, they are many and they are beautiful and they are all intended to give ourselves a, a chance of celebration. These are the days of celebration for Muslims. But the question is really, what are we celebrating? What, what, is, what is it that we are meant to be celebrating? Is it only the completion of the Hajj? I believe that the elements that we are celebrating is primarily our sacrifices for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's literally in the name, Eidul Adha, the celebration of the sacrifice.
And yes, there's a historical reference to the sacrifice of Nabi Ibrahim والسلام, of his son Nabi Ismail However, there's also our own sacrifices on the day which we should inshallah try to witness and keep ourselves busy with those practices on the day of Eid or rather I should say on the days of Eid because this is the essential quality of, of Eid. But beyond that, are we willing to, to give up for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala those vices that Allah had made impermissible for us to engage or indulge in in the first place? And in this sense, in the sense of giving up for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we can attain righteousness and piety. Remember Allah azza wa jal makes it very clear to us in the Quran, لَن تَنَالُوا الْبِرَّ حَتَّى تُنْفِقُوا مِمَّا تُحِبُّونَ You will never attain righteousness and piety until you learn to spend from that which you love. So give up for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make those sacrifices. Try, right? Really try. And spend some time in dua on this day to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make you steadfast in relation to that. Remember to keep the hujjaj in your prayers. Because the Prophet ﷺ instructed us with such. He said ﷺ, that we should say, Oh Allah, forgive the pilgrims and forgive those for whom the pilgrims seek forgiveness. Allahumma ghafir lil hujjaj waliman istaghfaralahumul hujjaj. Oh Allah, forgive the pilgrims and forgive those for whom the pilgrims seek forgiveness. It is at this moment that we should recall the steps of Hajj. That the Hujjaj stood on Arafah. They received the ultimate forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they received the certification of their reward because the reward for a Hajj that is done well for the sake of Allah is Laysa lahu jaza'un illa al-jannah. There's no reward for it except paradise. And in addition, Raja'aka yawmin waladatu ummu. They shall return to their families like the very day that they were born into this world, free of sin. Subhanallah, we should look forward to inviting them, to welcoming them, to sitting with them and benefiting from them. They are the honored guests of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Hujjaj wal-Ummar wafdullah. The Hujjaj and those who perform Umrah are the delegation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When they ask him, he grants them. When they seek refuge from him, he grants them refuge. This is the honored status that Allah Ta'ala had given to our hujjaj. And deep within the culture of our community is honoring hujjaj. And this not only took place when the hujjaj departed, but also when they returned. This was where the spark of love for the Baytullah was transferred from one haji to the, to the future prospective haji. Where somebody got the bug, they were bitten by the bug because of listening to an inspired pilgrim after having returned from the plains of Arafah. But that said, Arafah is not the end of the Hajj, as many people mistakenly believe. Yes, Arafah is the core of the Hajj, but it is really post-Arafah that shaitan comes and he tries to test our Hujjaj. In fact, sometimes before they even leave the plains of Arafah, just waiting to leave. It is on the journey after Arafah that some of the most difficult and arduous legs of the journey of Hajj Continue. The journey back to Muzdalifah. Some take that journey walking, some take it riding. Either way, by this point, the Hujjaj have lost quite a bit of sleep 
and they spend the night under the stars at Mustalifa. It's an expression we always use, but in reality, you'll get there one day and you'll realize you can't see any stars because of, the, of, of all of the lights. And then they spend that night there, some staying till past the middle of the night, others staying to the, to the extent that the Sunnah actually uh, teaches, which is till Fajr, and then proceeding, proceeding back to go and pelt the Jamarat, or the Jamarat, I should say, singular form, Jamarat al-Aqaba, and then from there to go and complete their tawaful ifada in the haram. And this beautiful process, going from one point to the other point, all takes place on the day of Eid. And the hujjaj, therefore, they don't follow, they don't, they don't have the same set of rules applying to them as we do. And they don't need to worry about the Eid salah. That's not, that's not, uh, it, it's, they're beyond that point at this stage in their journey. Right? The Eid Salah doesn't apply to the Hujjaj. They are going to be proceeding from the Tawaful Ifadah and then they get themselves ready to go back to Mina to spend the days of Tashrik there. And while we are having our Eid leftovers and our Biryani and our Akni and our Crayfish Curry and you know, all the delicacies, MashaAllah, may Allah grant us beneficial risk and halal risk, the Hujjaj are making do with the pre-packed meals available to them at Mina on the on the one camp and then on the more upmarket camp, whatever meals they are serving there. But they are still, as all the other hujjaj in the world, uh, under those tents in Mina. And what are we doing there? Every day, pelting the shaitan. Not literally, but renewing your covenant with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that even now, after Allah has forgiven a lifetime's worth of sinning, you reinforce the battle against your nafs. Reinforce the battle against shaitan. When, th- when pelting each and every stone, the hajj, the hajjah, is encouraged to picture, imagine, symbolize the sin that they are struggling to leave off in their life or that they have previously struggled to leave off. And at this point, they take that, that stone and they, they make the near that they're going to discard of it and leave it there at the jamarat one after the other, day after day, three days in a row. Of course, it's permissible to leave after two days. But this practice of our hujjaj will reinforce that when they get back home, their battles are not over. They've not reached the pinnacle of the spiritual lives and now it's downhill from there. No, they've reached a point of, a, uh, of, 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 of somewhat of a pinnacle. But then there's a plateau, a new height, a new height that they need to prove themselves worthy of. And this begins post-Hajj. Now, just like all of us, we may not have been on Hajj, but Allah had granted us some opportunities along the way to benefit as much as possible from this blessed, blessed time that we find ourselves in. It's up to us to make the changes and to keep those changes. And of course, Allah knows we are weak for this reason, Allah gives us seasons of forgiveness. Alhamd. To Allah belongs all the praise. And if you feel grateful that Allah has granted you these seasons of forgiveness, such as the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah, if your heart is filled with love and gratitude to your Rabb for once again saving your soul, despite feeling as you may, as I do certainly, quite often in fact, undeserving of Allah Ta'ala's mercy, we feel as though, subhanAllah, we 
we err time and time again. And our Rabb, we keep on hearing our ulama, we keep on reading, we keep on finding out that, oh, there's another occasion of forgiveness. Oh, there's another special occasion in which we can be saved from the fires of Jahannam. Oh, there's another occasion for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us khayr and barakah and nur. And there's another occasion for mustajab da'awat, for uh, answered prayers. These are gifts from our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you feel this in your heart, then as the feeling emanates, allow it to be expressed in words as you say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Walillahi alhamd Allahu Akbar kabira Walhamdulillahi kathira وسبحان الله العظيم وبحمده الكريم بكرة وأصيلا لا إله إلا الله ولا نعبد إلا إياه مخلصين له الدين ولو كره الكافرون لا إله إلا الله وحده صدق وعده ونصر عبده وأعز جنده وهزم الأحزاب وحده لا إله إلا الله والله أكبر الله أكبر ولله الحمد تقبل الله منا ومنكم عيد مبارك عيد سعيد كل عام وأنتم بألف خير May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept Until next time inshallah It's been a pleasure to be, to be with you And to host this program Hajj the journey of the hearts For the last couple of weeks And bi-ithnillah We make our niyyah to continue With some of the good works So we can share inshallah ta'ala As much as possible With our dear beloved listeners that's right, you are beloved to us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant that we love each other for his sake. Ameen. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.